Steve, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have a chat with you today about performance and talent and culture and organizations and much more. Welcome. Elaine, I'm so excited to be on your show. I've listened to a few episodes before being on here. So yeah, I'm, I'm already a fan. So let's do it. I appreciate it. Thank you. So just to give our audience a little bit of a context about who you are, can you give us a little bit of a career snapshot? Yeah, um, I'll kind of fast forward through the first 20 years. Um, you know, I, I swam, I swam my way to the United States. It's not as literal as it sounds. Um, you know, I, I was a competitive swimmer. I swam for Great Britain uh, for a number of years. And then I was recruited over to the US in 2005. Uh, I attended North Carolina State University, did four years there, um, got an undergraduate degree in communications and then stayed and got a master's degree in management. And I had this whole plan of going into the corporate space and using both communication and management in that area. I wasn't sure what direction I was going to go, but that was the, uh, the initial thought. And then I found swim coaching. And so it was, it, it just happened naturally. Uh, I, I found myself after being an athlete, being around the pool and, and working with athletes almost voluntarily to begin with, but there was a connection. There was, there was something about whatever I was saying, it was resonating and the way I was saying it was impactful. So suddenly when you see that type of a response in the person that you're coaching, it's amazing how easily you get sucked into wanting to do it more, you yeah. know? So it's, that's where it really started. And, and before I knew it, I had an amazing job opportunity come up fresh out of graduating my master's degree uh, at Louisiana State University, where I became an assistant coach. And then fast forward 10 years, uh, 10 years later, I, I did a lot of good things, a lot of awesome things in the in the world of swimming. And uh, most recently, last summer, I actually put uh, LSU's first ever American on, a, on an Olympic team in the sport of swimming. And right as I got to the top of that mountain, I decided that Something about the swimming world just wasn't quite the way I wanted it to be long term. And I decided now was the time to take a huge leap of faith and start my own company, which is that of Korea Competitor. And nine months later, here we are talking off the back of the fact that I have this company, which is really cool. I love that this sort of thing has been introduced into my world. And yeah, today I'm working as a performance coach and as a culture consultant working both with individuals and teams on what it means to really optimize performance and what I believe is the most important part of that, which is just optimizing ourselves, starting with ourselves, and then seeing what it is that we perform within as an extension of that self. So mm -hmm. that's about it in about a three minute spiel right there. Hey you, thanks for watching. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure to share it with friends and family who might find it interesting. Make sure to hit the subscribe button as well to stay up to date on weekly new videos that are gonna be coming out with some awesome guests that I bring on. And uh, if you have any questions, use the comment section to ask me questions, to interact. I look forward to talking to you. Spiel right there. <laughs> I, I love it. And listen, I'm completely biased. My mother is, um, a, she was a professional swimmer when she was younger in Russia. She wow. to, she's retired now, but she um, still swims three, four times a week for like an hour. I don't know how many meters she swims. She swims a lot. She Good teaches swimming. So wow. I, I grew up around swimming. I used to swim when I was younger as well. I didn't make it um, to any kind of competitions, unfortunately, anything worthy of mention at least. But <laughs> uh, swimming is close to my heart. And um, so, so I very much appreciate it. And in general, sports are a very big part of um, what I believe in when it comes to just performance and uh, careers and leadership and all those things because and I think you're a perfect person to talk about this because your career started off 
in a competitive sport where you have to be accountable, where you have to be part of a team, right? So I think it is natural that you are now doing what you're doing today. And if anything, it gives you a lot of credibility to talk about things that we're going to be talking about, right? So optimizing performance, not only on a team level, but also you as an individual. And you're, again, a perfect example of that. So so kudos to you, because I think it's a, it's a beautiful transition and it's um, it's something you you lived and loved and, and, and continue to now uh, impact people with. But so talk to me a little bit about, uh, first of all, why swimming? Out of all the sports in the world, uh, what was it? How did you get into swimming in particular? And at what age did you start? Yeah, I, it, it, I love that story. I love that question mainly because it, it wasn't the plan probably until I was about 12 years old. And it almost got, um, I, I, it was almost shaken into me by, by my father, just in terms of like him having to just truly let me know, like, this is the sport that you have the most talent in. This is the sport where you can go the furthest, you know, growing up in England, growing up in Europe, it was all, as we call football, Americans call soccer, you know, it was, it was about that. And for me, it's like, don't tell me that I can't realize that dream of playing for England and scoring the winning goal and all this kind of thing. But fact of the matter is that was never going to be my future and so for me it was I played every sport under the sun until I was like 12 13 and then it becomes more of a listen if you're gonna if you're gonna become good at something you gotta start focusing specifically on it and uh I to this day I, I thank my dad for that honestly he, his willingness to sit me down and say listen I know you love your football I know you love all these other sports but I would be I would not be doing my job as your father if I wasn't telling you that this is where your talent lies and this is where you can be really good and just so happens is once I started getting serious with it once I started focusing on it all of a sudden good things started to happen and uh, before I knew it I was in national finals for my age group uh, by the age of about 15 16 and I got exposed to the British team for the first time when I was 18 and I kind of con consider myself a late bloomer because of that you know like most most sports you see kids reaching a national level around 11 12 and then they're, they're encouraged to kind of keep going at that level for me i didn't really get a taste of what it means to be a competitive truly competitive athlete until i was 18 19 years old mm. by that time most people would have given up they would have just said hey i'm not, I'm not going to do it anymore but because of the patience that i had at an early age and the willingness to try other things it actually gave me a longer lifespan with the sport it gave me opportunities at 18 19 that most people will have seen and maybe even wasted when they were 13, 14, and didn't quite have that maturity to mm -hmm. recognize that this was a great opportunity. So I'm really thankful about the way it all worked out, obviously, in the end. Uh, and I, but I never expected to be in the sport until I was, you know, last summer, I turned 36, when I decided to step away. If you told me at 18, you'll be doing this for another 18 years, I would have told you you're crazy. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. So in your in your own experience, as well as when, you know, working with kind of athletes um, and high performers, um, what do you see as the biggest differentiator, I guess, from somebody who is a high performance sports? Um, and how like do you see that there's like what is it that's nurtured in that individual versus somebody who's not? And like what can basically what I'm trying to get is like what is what are, what can we, you know, people that are not into sports are not kind of competitive sports. What is it that we can learn? What can we take away from lessons from from competitors? Yeah, I love that question because again, this is what I've come to find in the last nine months since I started this uh, this company of mine is is just how transferable so many of these skills are, and I'm I'm so thankful that I work with clients today that recognize that and appreciate that. For me. 
intention is probably the word that I use more often than not when it comes to how can we recognize these parallels between the sports world and really just about any other world away from sport. Because for me, an action without intention is nowhere near is as impactful as, as an action with. And and so for, I've, I've watched groups of athletes show up over the years and you can cut a line right down the middle of the ones that showed up on that particular day with intention and those that did not. You can see it. It's right there before your eyes as a coach. And there's a difference between an athlete that is operating with those long-term or maybe even in some cases, short-term intentions about what it is they want to get out of that particular practice, for instance. So when you transfer this to the corporate space or any any world for that matter, you suddenly now stop and say, okay, how often am I arriving with intention of what I want to do with this particular day or with this particular project or with this particular client? You know, can I can I shift my mindset in a way where I am now acting with intent as opposed to simply doing my job or going through the process that I would you know, it's going to keep, I'm, I'm going to be able to keep my job. I'm not going to get in trouble or anything like that. Now we're shifting that perspective to well, what can I make of these opportunities? What can I get out of these opportunities? And that intention, that intentional mindset for me over the years, that's been the key distinguishing factor between the good and the elite. Mm, that's so good. Um, it's interesting because you write so many, I mean, there's just so many lessons there. And the biggest one I see is just the fact that as an athlete, if you're not continuously like gain, going to that next level, next level, you become irrelevant eventually. And same thing in our careers, right? Like if you're not continuously kind of being proactive and pushing yourself to that next level in your career, especially in the competitiveness of the corporate world, right? Um, it's you're gonna stagnate eventually. So it's um, mm. um, and so it's really interesting. Um, do you think that it's something that the, a mindset that can be nurtured or do you think it's just some people either have it or they don't? Do you think it's just a character trait that people either kind of born with it? Because we see a lot of people that are just natural high performance in the world of talent yeah. development. You have people that are high performance. You have people that are just, they're just not going to move from here. And then you have the yeah. middle, which is like, you can develop them into high performers, right? But these people here, like, do you feel it's do you, like, what do you feel like there's something that can be developed or it's just yeah. innate or not? Yeah, it's it's a tough question because the fact of the matter is I I think I would be doing it I think I would be lying if I was to say that hey everybody can eventually have intention and everybody can eventually, you know, recognize talent etc. But I, what I will say is that I think there's a a huge gap between those that are operating with their fullest potential and recognizing their talent and then there is this gap, there is this group sorry that I believe are so much more capable, but for whatever reasons, they've yet to attach themselves to the right goals. They've yet to attach themselves to the right intentions. And no one has maybe offered those perspectives, let's say, when it comes to how they can be intentional about what they do. Because a lot of the time, I'll take this world of sport again. I like to use this analogy of, you know, everyone has a different version of an Olympic final everyone's Olympic final is different. You know, when you work with 30 athletes at a time, as I once did, you don't look at that. You, you don't look at all of them and say, okay, we're working towards the Olympic games, people. That's just not realistic. It's not fair. And mm -hmm. if you were to say it like that, you're probably going to lose about 85 to 90% of the group right away. Cause they're going to go, I'm not capable of that. I'm not, I can't be an Olympic finalist. However, if you suddenly start to get to know people's true beliefs in what they think they're capable of, well, sometimes you can find a small gap between where they think they're capable and maybe where you can shift their intention in a way 
to maybe raising the bar a little bit more, having a little bit more expectation of saying, hey, I may not be the best and I may never get to that level, but maybe me being at the bottom as opposed to being in the middle of the pack or me being in the middle of the pack as opposed to a part of at least in the discussion with the elite, maybe the difference with that is just simply for whatever reason, no one's yet to shape my perspective and my intentions the right way to get the best out of me. Mm. And so in your work with individuals in corporations, it sounds like I can see how that could be one of the challenges is like actually helping people kind of discover that gap and closing that gap. But are there any themes that came out to you when you're working with individuals, right? Especially teams, because teamwork is like one thing, right? But to get the team to work together, like you mentioned in the beginning, there's a lot of individual work that goes into it. So have you seen like um, any challenge, like what are the biggest, I'm sure there's many, <laughs> but what are the biggest challenges you see with individuals, particularly in, in organizations in terms of whether it's career progression, whether it's leadership development, whatever it may be, what do you feel people are struggling with the most right now? You know, a, a really, a really hot topic is, is that of transparency. It's, it's that of dealing with the truth, dealing with honesty. Uh, you know, a lot of leaders today are, are struggling with the notion of how do I deliver that? You know, how do I deliver that in a way where I'm keeping in mind the person's emotions, mental health, for that matter? Like, how am I maybe holding someone accountable or delivering news to them in a way that isn't completely ruining their confidence to the point where they don't want to even be here anymore? And then on the flip side of that, how are we holding ourselves accountable to a level of honesty in how we go about our work? How are we checking in with ourselves and saying, I am holding myself to enough of a, of a high enough standard. I am being honest. I am being transparent with what I believe is enough versus not enough. So the topic of transparency, like I say, it, it's it's tough because what you find is that you have different different perspectives of what that should look like. So it's very much on the leader to dictate what transparency, what truth telling, what honesty looks like within the within the workplace. And I think when you start to bring it back to Again, this word intention, if the intention is always to get better and we're always arriving at a conversation where we're maybe dealing with the truth and dealing with transparency, but the intention is to get better, then two people are meeting in a safe place. People are meeting in a place where they can say, okay, I understand that you want me to get better. I understand that you want this organization to get better. But most importantly, I also understand that you want this relationship to be better for this conversation. So every, there's this sort of three-dimensional component to of the self, of the relationship, and then of the organization as well. And when you can start to look at it that way, suddenly now that will shape the way you give feedback because you don't want to discourage someone. You want to empower them in some way through the information that you're maybe conversing with them. Mm. Yeah, and that makes sense because at the end of the day, it's all about connection. And if you don't have transparency and trust and and, and kind of that true leadership, right? It's very difficult to have that connection, especially in a remote world that we're working in right now. It requires even more exactly. time and investment. So uh, on, on that topic, in terms of teams, right? So you talk a lot about culture and teams. Um, mm. I'm curious, what have you seen as, I guess, if, I don't know, maybe a success story or maybe just like a case study of uh, a culture, a, a remote culture done well, let's put it that way, whether mm. it was a you know, uh, a company that transitioned from being fully uh, in person to fully remote, a hybrid, like, because a lot of companies are struggling with that right now. What has been, yeah. what have you seen? Yeah, some good stuff for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think the important, the important thing here is, is to address it for what it is and, and try to almost take out 
the component of whether it's in-person versus virtual, because a lot of the times we allow the virtual component to dictate the decision-making or we allow the in-person component to dictate the decision-making. Whereas if we start and say, okay, the genesis of our culture is going to be based upon certain ideals, certain principles, certain missions of our company. Now, how do we honor those through this environment that we're working within? Now, because that's where you can get creative. That's where you can use the virtual component to be creative. If we start, if we start in this mindset of how do we bring this to the virtual area? Sorry, how do we use the virtual component to dictate our our culture? Then suddenly now it's like, well, we're making decisions about our culture based on the limitations that we have, as opposed to let's start with the culture, let's start with the principles, let's start with the values. And now let's see how we can facilitate all of that through something as simple as a, you know, one thing I like to do is say, okay, everybody gets to run a meeting this week, you know, you're a group, you're a team of six, team of five, whatever it may be, figure out, figure out five topics. So everybody gets to run a meeting this week and, and, and use this sort of a platform to give people a voice to give people responsibilities, because I think that's one of the hardest things to do in a virtual world is to feel as though you have responsibilities. When you're when you're in the workplace, it's like, hey, if I'm doing something and people can see me, I'm being responsible, right? Whereas if you're at home, and no one's around, it's yeah. like, well, what kind of responsibilities do I really have? But when you're being put in sort of a, in more of a public platform, through the virtual world, now it's like, yeah, I, I do feel I do feel as though that they're, they're giving me responsibilities. I do feel as though they trust me to take ownership of a certain project. And that is empowering that creates purpose. And every successful culture is a is filled with purpose. Mm. Yes. And I think there's a also like a misconception that people just kind of know what they're supposed to be doing and that everybody has this innate ability to create work for themselves, right? But some people need that kind of like, this is, you know, a set, setting objectives and expectations. And, and for better or for worse, not all companies are able to provide that kind of mentoring, support, coaching almost, you know, like from the manager side to especially the young talent. So you're right, because um, this happens quite a lot. That's why a lot of people are disengaged and loyalty is out of the window when you don't have that connection as well. And that's why there are people just job hopping, um, which is pretty standard these days. But still, a lot of that could be resolved if there was a little bit more connection in organizations. Um, so so that's, um, that's interesting. Um, I'm curious, you also wrote a book. So, and I know you cover some of these things that we're talking about in your book. So although it's not coming out till a little bit later in the fall, talk to us a little bit about what, like, what are some things that you're going to be covering in that book? And can you give us a little, like um, a sneak peek, I guess? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't come out until the middle of October, but it's going to be called shock the world, a competitor's guide to realizing your potential. So it's right there in the title. It's all about people looking in the mirror and saying, for whatever reason, at this point in my life, or whatever reason at this point in my career, I feel as though this I'm capable of more. It doesn't mean that I failed. It doesn't mean that things aren't going well. It just means that I still know there's more in me. There's still more of me to give to whether it's the team I work with, my own career path, whatever it may be. So the reason I've actually called it shock the world is that these decisions and what it is you put into the practices that I put within this book there's there's an abruptness to it. You have to kind of shock the system sometimes to make those initial shifts for the better. Now, the book is actually broken into 
nine specific shocks, if you will. Mm -hmm. So the first phase of the book, I will say, though, is, is without a doubt the most important part. And it, it really goes back to my coaching principles, which is that of, as I mentioned at the beginning, the optimal self. So the first three chapters of the book is shock the identity, shock the mindset, and then shock the approach. So those three elements right there, for anyone starting out on a journey where they say, hey, I'm ready to perform, I'm ready to reach higher levels, mm. where should I start? Well, what I'm telling people there in the book is start with you, start mm. with yourself, start with focusing on the person you see in the mirror. Because there may be a few answers here in you already that for whatever reason, you've not been able to bring to the surface. And I have a number of exercises within the book that allow that process to be facilitated where you can start to learn a little bit about yourself that maybe you've yet to realize. And that's going to really start to get the wheels in motion. And then that way, when we start talking about realizing our potential, executing at higher levels, performing towards our potential, mm. well, now you can do that as long as you've got the foundation, as long as you start, like I said, with with that focus on yourself. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the book. It's my first step into the world of writing. So we'll see, we'll see how it's received, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure that's an experience on its own. It's definitely, um, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I, I hear from people who've written books. It's a, it's a very tough process. So um, what inspired you to write the book, I guess, was it just to kind of, uh, did you see an opportunity? Did you see that a lot of people are kind of, um, looking for those answers because that it sounds like of what i mean that especially in the last couple of years i feel like what you're talking about is so relevant to so many people and and you're right we don't know how to start we know maybe we have a slight idea of what we want but not sure how to even take that first step was there anything that we're like okay i need to put this in a book that came to you yeah so i will say it was it was a lot of that and it's very much two points i'll start with the i'll start with the other point first the, the book was born out of a, a journey that i went on with an athlete um, when I was working at LSU, uh, a kid that I recruited that was completely unrecruited in 2018, brought into LSU in 2019. And by 2021, he'd gone from being a complete unknown in the world of swimming to being LSU's first ever Olympian, and then went on and actually got himself an Olympic medal uh, for the US Olympic, uh, Olympic gold medal, sorry, for the US Olympic team. So that is where that he and I had this back and forth throughout that time where we would privately discuss hey we're going to shock the world no one in the world of swimming is expecting you to do this so this is very much what we're doing but in terms of bringing this up to the to the very moment we're in right now it's a lot of what you were saying elena it's 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 being able to say okay you read the news and every every month you know four and a half million americans four million americans they they, they decide to jump from a career or maybe just jump without any idea of where they're going whatever it may be for me this book tells you to say hey that's fine. You can have that intention. It's all well and good, but let's not be reactive. Let's not be reactive about this. Maybe can we be a little bit more process minded and have a little bit more of a plan in place so that when we feel the need to jump, we can jump with a bit more confidence and know that as we take that jump, we're set up to be successful, whatever the result. So for me, that was definitely a point. It, it pushed me to get the book written now, as opposed to, you know, waiting a year or two, because to your point, the relevancy for it today, I think is could potentially be really impactful for sure. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And it's almost like minimizing the risk of that jump being painful, if you want to say that, sure. right? So yeah. I think that that any anytime you make any kind of shift, it's painful, but I think it's just minimizing the pain a little bit by <laughs> being a little bit more strategic about where you're jumping, how high or how far and right. 
what does that jump look like and etc yeah so um so, I, I i jumped in 2019 and i i was i thought it was strategic but looking back i probably could have put a little bit more thought to it before <laughs> I, I jumped from my full-time job at that time in, in in dubai um but it worked out but still you know mm. um, so I, yeah I, and and to your to your point too like you know you learn so much through that process right i mean you at some point the jump has to happen and, and i wish you could get to a position where you knew the answers before the jump but i don't think that's possible but i do think you can prepare yourself as well as possible to sustain the impact let's say that comes with the jump and so that's a big part of what this book's about and again i get to speak to that from my own experience over the last nine months of building my business is it took a lot of confidence there was a bit of a free fall at the beginning but um the impact wasn't too bad and the momentum now is really great and so many of these so many of the the, the very tools that i use through that process are outlined in this book yeah, that's awesome. And so I wanted to also ask you, um, you know, being uh, being an athlete yourself, and I'm sure there's a set of kind of habits and routines that you do day to day that might keep you at your best game, essentially. So is there anything yeah. that you do to kind of stay up, up there? Yeah, there is. My, my, my favorite piece of advice when it comes to this stuff is something that I've coined as my, my first and final 30. Uh, so the first and final 30 of my day is is literally how I bookend my day in a way to set up the habits that I want to rely upon throughout the day. So as much as it sounds about like really having the perfect habits in the first 30 minutes in the last 30, 30 minutes of the day, those 30 minute periods, in my opinion, the way I describe it, that, that combined hour is the most control we have within our day. You know, mm -hmm. that combined hour is the most amount of control we have. So why wouldn't we try to optimize that time? And when I say optimize, that doesn't mean be busy. That doesn't mean get stuff done. It means prepare the self, prepare the self for the first 30, and then maybe use the final 30 to just download what the heck has happened today, because maybe you didn't stop. Maybe you're like me, and you've got a three-year-old and a two-year-old at home and a, and a wife with her own full-time job and a business that's building and all these sort of things. Maybe you didn't stop. Maybe you need a moment to write a couple things down. Maybe you need a moment just to process like, hey, there was a few wins. There was a few wins today. You know, I need to recognize those wins. So it's, it is funny, just a, a real short story with that, like something that I've noticed, and I, I even talk about this in the book, like something that I've noticed, yeah, I'm 37 and I've kept myself in good shape over the years. I still look like I swim, but I definitely do not swim anymore. Um, but people, guys in their 30s and their 40s, when they see another guy who's in his, a similar age, who's in shape, they can't help but ask, like, what's your secret, man? What's your secret? You know, and, and I always, I always look at them and I go, well, to be honest with you, it's my first and final 30. They're like, no, no, no. Like, what's your exercise plan? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, seriously, <laughs> if I don't do my first and final 30, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what exercise plan I give you or what nutritional plan I give you. Mm. Believe it or not, that hour allows me to optimize the time when I do work out. And that, that hour within the beginning and the end of my day, like that is where I process things like, Hey, how did I take care of myself today? How did I feed myself today? What's my nutrition been like today? Why do I feel like crap? Oh, it's because that lunch that I had wasn't that good for me. And maybe I should do something about that tomorrow. Like, so it's, it's when I explain it to people like that and they sort of look at me and they go, okay, yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense. And that doesn't sound too difficult. And then I always joke with them. I was like, well, let's see you try then. Let's, <laughs> let, let's give it a go. Yeah, no, it's, it's, again, it's that intention, that focus, that taking a moment is so powerful um, to just take control, essentially, of, of your days. And, and it's, it's, I think it's a great habit to have. So I like it, the first and last 30. So I like that. Yeah. 
So, um, Steve, if somebody wanted to kind of get in touch with you, um, maybe just uh, stay tuned for your book coming out, where do you usually hang out on social media? Where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, my, my two big social media platforms, uh, one is LinkedIn and the other one is Instagram. You can just search for my name, Steve Meller, that's M-E-L-L-O-R on LinkedIn. And then I'm at coach underscore Steve underscore M on Instagram. And uh, I actually do have a podcast myself too. So the, the name of my the name of my company, Career Competitor, uh, is the name of my podcast. And believe it or not, the podcast itself was why I am doing what it I, I is what it is I'm doing today is because I started that podcast four years ago. Um, so please go ahead and check that out after you've given this a listen. Um, but at the same time. I do have a website, but I always say to people, just email me, steve at careercompetitor.com. You can go check out the website. That's all well and good, but I'd, I'd rather hear from you and connect directly. And yeah, steve at careercompetitor.com. Awesome. And I'm actually sure to share it in the description below as well. So Steve, thank you so much for taking the time. And um, again, um, it's awesome that you're doing you. I love your story. And I love what you, you know, you kind of took what you were doing when you were younger and you know, designed your own career path for that in the business. So well done for that. I appreciate it, Elena. I appreciate you having me on too. Thank you.